Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. If you like the Indo Daily, you can follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today on the Indo Daily, journalist, trailblazer, and tabloid fodder, the very tragic life of Paula Yates. When Channel 4 launched in the UK in 1982, it was a breath of fresh air. Good afternoon. It's a pleasure to be able to say to you, Welcome to Channel 4. The free-to-air public broadcaster was in stark contrast with existing British channels who were still using the Queen's English and minding their P's and Q's. Channel 4, on the other hand, was rolling out controversial storylines on its new soap, Brookside. Giving us a dose of vulgarity with the word... When I was in the army, my name was Corporal Reed 23324533. What's that? And introducing us to a music show so famous for its high-profile scoops in the tube. Indeed, that show would launch the careers of many, including Jules Holland. You'd walk to your television set and turn it up. November the 5th, and we're going to do something now that's going to go in the annals of television history. It's a live rock show. We've got an enormous firework display laid on. A great expense. Channel 4, spare no expense whatsoever. This is now time for the tube. You're going to see live bands. But it was a petite, platinum blonde presenter from Wales with a sharp wit and confidence who would become its standout star, Paula Yates. You look lovely in bed, by the way, Paula. Oh, thank you. I'm sure you do. Um, Now, um... What sort of things have been inspiring you for the new for this new album? Well, right now it's you all the way. Um... Now this November, the channel turns 40 and a new two-part documentary will look back on the life of Paula Yates from her marriage to Bob Geldof, their controversial split when she fell for in excess frontman Michael Hutchins, to her tragic death, followed by even more heartbreak for the family when daughter Peaches later died. It would seem that tragedy courted the family at every step. I'm Siobhan McGuire and today I'm joined by entertainment correspondent at the Irish Independent, Melanie Finn, to hear about the life of Paula Yates. Melanie, thanks so much for joining us today. Look, we know that Channel 4 has big plans for its 40th birthday. And it does seem quite logical, actually, that they would roll out this documentary about Paula Yates she was one of the key faces on the channel from the very start back in 1982. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Not many people now might remember her, but she was certainly very iconic at the time. And she was one of its massive stars when it did first launch in the early 1980s. And she helmed a show called The Tube. 
And it just instantly became this kind of cult classic, this thing you you did you had to watch. And it was the total opposite to the kind of TV fodder that people were being served up at that time, which is very bland, very conservative. You know, Channel 4 literally just exploded onto the scene and changed everything. To suddenly have all these amazing new bands on the scene on your TV that you could watch and enjoy and um, idolise from the comfort of your, your couch. That was amazing. That was a brilliant thing. So she performed a key part of their schedule when it came to delivering that kind of content to its younger audiences. And essentially it was, it was aimed at the youth audience. Um, and they had things like you said, um, the word word. Do you remember they um, showed how to put on a condom? on TV. It was this very famous <laughs> controversial crazy. sketch and a lot of kids actually got their sex education from that show. Um, I'm, you know, not, not 100% sure how accurate everything would have been, but at least they were trying, at least they were breaking boundaries and it was the first time anyone had seen that kind of content. She started off as a music journalist, actually, and then she became a columnist. Um, so she kind of worked her way up a little bit before she started with Channel 4 in 1982. And she had a wonderful um, fashion sense. She was very cool. She was very edgy. And I think what people really liked about her is that she genuinely didn't give a hoot. And I think if you come from a different era where it's very conservative, very establishment, I think that's, that's you know, that's what caught people's attention most about her. Um she she was obviously a little troubled in herself um, and, you know, that came to be apparent, you know, in, in her later years. But in the early 1980s, you know, the world was her oyster, really. And she grew up in a media household. Her mother was an actress and an author and her adoptive father was a television presenter. And there would be like a scandal around that in, in later years that the father she thought was her actual father, wasn't, and it was a completely different television presenter. So even imagining growing up in, in quite a creative environment, she was kind of destined to work with words or work with television. Yeah, it seemed like a natural path. Like you say, she did grow up in that kind of entertainment show, Busy House. So she would have been very comfortable around celebrities, around famous people. Um, so TV would seem like a kind of a natural choice for her when it came to, to jobs. And so we talk about the tube, actually, and this is where she would first have met uh, her future husband, Bob Geldof, Boomtown Rats. Well, front they, they, yes, they actually first met briefly in Ireland at a party in really? 1977. Okay. And she was instantly head over heels. And as was Paula's way, she decided to pursue Mr. Geldof um, to such an extent that the other band members nicknamed her the Limpet and it kind of escalated when she flew to Paris. She was just besotted with them. She was a huge fan of the band um, and he eventually relented to her demands and uh, yeah, they became an item. Um, so then when she did interview him on the Tube, of course, um, it, it, came, it became kind of a famous interview for her. Uh, but then, of course, she went on to interview Michael Hutchins and we all know what happened there right we do and we will come back to that Mel because um, I remember in the 80s Paula Yates and Bob Geldof were tabloid fodder Paula especially like the tabloids couldn't get enough of her but they were as you say a very cool and edgy very very slick looking couple yeah, they were very kind of alternative, you know. They didn't let the fact that they had three young kids get in the way of um, living the, 
their very best life, you know. And this is a time, of course, when Bob Geldof would have organised Live Aid, um, which eventually won him a knighthood. Uh, he was hugely famous. He had kind of had a global profile at that stage. And people just loved the fact that she was this kind of free-spirited woman and was a perfect complement, a perfect foil to the serious nature of Bob Geldof. This wonderful suit. It's very nice, covered in... Um daisies, sunflowers. Mm. Um, were you always interested in clothes? Paula, this is getting really stupid. <laughs> Bob and Paula, they married after being 10 years together. Paula then moving into a- another part of television that would actually make her famous beyond famous and we're talking about The Big Breakfast here which Mm. was another quirky show idea from Channel 4 and it was basically turning the breakfast shows we would see on the BBC and ITV that were all very nice and cardigans and lovely little (laughs) cup of tea into people sprawling on beds having a laugh and uh, general chit chat. Well, there was also a huge amount of flirting, you know, um, on all the, uh, you know, with all the presenters. Um, and so they have this very famous segment. It was called, you know, On the Bed. And you'd interview a celebrity on the bed and things get a little risque, like they'd end up snogging the presenters and stuff. And there might be a bit of a, you know, a bit of playful groping and all the rest. I mean, it was all way before the Me Too movement, all perfectly consensual. And people absolutely loved it um, because it took that kind of bland format of breakfast TV and it turned it totally on its head and it made it very, um, I don't know, alternative, I suppose. Absolutely, because you'd have you'd have massive stars. You know, mm. you'd have um, Kylie Minogue and Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, lying on a bed with Paula Yates and Paula would be completely unfazed. I think what she did for the audience was she made these stars seem so accessible, which was quite big back in the day because these these were untouchables in terms yeah. of stardom. And yet there's Paula with a red lipstick, uh, you know, delighted with herself, having a laugh. And we, through her, could live vicariously. I'm sharing the bed again with our favourite girl in the whole world. (laughs) Pop's answer to Grace Kelly. It's Kylie Minogue. Now, how are you, Kylie? Yeah, it made them seem relatable. And you're like, yeah, I wish I was Paul on the bed there, you know, and he's staring at my legs or he's, you know, we look like we might just be about to head off into the sunset together. Um, you know, there was also the very famous interview with, with Bon Jovi where he wouldn't stop staring at her legs. Um, and it was just a, it was just something very new, very energetic, very different to what was being offered at the time. And like you say, it does make them seem more relatable when they put themselves in that kind of very informal setting. Um, and what makes them seem relatable is what makes them seem what adds to their likability, which adds to their popularity. So people were queuing up to do the show, you know. Um, I suppose compared to the Graham Norton show today, like that kind of popularity, that kind of appeal. And in in her private life, what did we know about Paula at the time? I mean, were, were there signs of any drug issues or anything like that? Or was she just, you know, the girl about town, having the few drinks, going to parties, that kind of thing? I suppose things didn't really become apparent until she left Bob Geldof. So this would have been the mid-1990s. And then she very quickly hooked up with Michael Hutchins. Now, she had met Michael Hutchins 10 years previously on the Tube. 
And apparently she was all over him to such an extent that his road manager had to be like, hey, you know, love, like, cool your jets there, back off a little bit. But she, there was obviously a spark in her, for, for, in her for him at that stage that had been ignited. And then 10 years later, she interviewed him in that famous clip on The Big Breakfast, just smitten again. For the first time, this is a guest that I want to have my leg over. And it is... It's the fantastically talented Michael Hutchins. Hi. Hi. <laughs> what are you, a big Thank sex you. symbol or something? Hi. Good morning. <laughs> now, Michael, you've got your greatest hits album out at the moment. Yes, I do. And crikey, I really want to talk to you about that. Mm, I bet you do. <laughs> Quickly divorced Bob. Um got together with Michael and then within the space of a year was pregnant with the child that is now Tiger Lily for Michael. Um, but then you're starting to hit a few bumpy patches, um, both for Michael Hutchins actually and for Polly Yates. That interview was phenomenal. I remember it well, Mel, because it was so flirty, like flirtier than Paula's usual flirtatious manner with, uh, uh, you know, other people she would interview. With Michael, the pair of them had chemistry. And it was only later, much, much later, that we would find out that they had already embarked on an affair by that stage. That's right. Yeah. Um, I watched the clip just before this podcast today and it's kind of like, you know, the chemistry is so apparent. It's like sizzling between the two of them. They couldn't keep their hands off each other. Their legs are entwined. It's like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And imagine people watching this at like 10 a.m. eating their cornflakes. You know, they think they'd stumbled across an X-rated station. It's really been... Just wonderful, and I think you're my favourite guest ever. Oh, you. You are. I like you more than Willem Dafoe. Ooh, that's good. Isn't it? That's real good. And um, I can't wait for your... Um, well, I can't wait to hear your greatest hits. Thanks. All of them. <laughs> All of them. But it wasn't. It was It was just them. Um, so it burned very quickly and it burned very, very brightly, and um, unfortunately their relationship came to a very, very sudden and tragic end. But it was it was it was quite sad for us to watch that as well because Bob, I mean, he was he was kind of Saint Bob by that stage, and mm. he's there, you know, photographed with the little girls, and yeah, your heart kind of went out to him. If it was to happen now, you know, there would be a complete division on social media. You know, it would be like hashtag Team Bob, hashtag Team uh, Team Hutchins. You know, people would be divided into one camp or the other. You know, do you go with the classic bad boy rock type or do you go with the humanitarian save the world good dad good husband um, Bob Geldof and at that stage um, I'm not sure that Paula could even help herself I think the rapport was so strong yeah. with Hutchins she she always seemed like someone who would follow her heart never her head and with Hutchins it was to follow her heart You know, Paula would have been together with Bob for the guts of 20 years before they separated. And that partnership worked for a reason, probably because they were completely different personality wise. You know, whereas her and Michael, you know, two wildly impulsive, wildly energetic, you know, dreamers, free spirits, etc. You know, it burnt, like I say, it burned, burned quickly and it burned fast. Was there drug taking among the couple? Um, I'm not sure that we know that for definite. It was definitely rumoured. 
Um, and I know that Bob Geldof wasn't happy with certain aspects with regards to access um, to his three kids that he had with her. Um, and then, of course, you know, in 1997, there was the incident where Michael was found. Um, and then there was the whole dispute about the circumstances surrounding that. For certain stars at the time, it was kind of an open secret that there was a lot of drug taking. That's very true. Um, so it's it's hard to say for, for definite, but it was certainly rumoured strongly at the time. Good evening, Angela Pearman with ABC News. The international music industry is in shock with the death of rock star Michael Hutchins. The body of the in excess lead singer was discovered in a Sydney hotel room late this morning. Police won't confirm the cause of death, but they've taken a leather belt into possession for scientific examination. It was absolutely shocking. His death, uh, found dead in a hotel room in Australia, uh, later found to have died by suicide, and Paula initially refused to even accept the coroner's findings of she, suicide. She came up with this theory about um, autoerotic asphyxiation um, and she said that um, they used to have very rough sex. She, she said, I'm, I'm happy to go on the record with that. Um, when he was found dead in his hotel room in Australia, like all hell broke loose. She flew into Australia completely distraught and she said something along the lines of, Bob Geldof has killed my baby. He has killed Michael Hutchins um, because they had a conversation in the hours before his sudden death. Um, so, and Bob Geldof has again, yes, absolutely, he did have a conversation with Hutchins. We believe it was a dispute over the custody of the children. Paula was supposed to bring them over to Australia and Bob didn't want that. So just before she went to fly, he took out an injunction preventing her from bringing the three kids because at that stage he was concerned about possible drug use between the couple um, and feared for the safety of, of his kids, which is actually a very wise move. Now you look back, you know, there was obviously more going on behind the scenes. And then in 2000, Paula Yates died of a heroin overdose at the age of just 41. She did, yeah. And it was very, again, very sad circumstances because she had her child there at the time. And then there was um, an inquest and they were trying to determine the cause of death. You know, was it on purpose? Was it accidental? Um, and it was ruled as an accidental overdose because it wasn't deemed to be a large amount, large enough amount of the drug, of the Class A drug, to have actually killed her. So they just think it was uh, accidental. And uh, Bob, in the meantime, is is looking after the girls, his his girls with Paula and indeed um, Paula and Michael's daughter, Tiger Lily. Yeah, so he ended up adopting Tiger Lily after everything happened, which I think was a really, really lovely gesture, really humane. Um, she obviously had been through such trauma then, you know, at four years old, you would remember seeing your, your mum die, you know, you'd be she was there in the house when that happened with Paula. God only imagines what, what she could have gone through. So he, despite having no biological link with the child whatsoever, adopted her and took her into his own home and treated her like one of his own. So, I mean, just an amazing gesture by Bob Geldof. And I suppose he tried to provide some kind of stability for the, the four girls and that's what they really desperately needed after so much upheaval, so much media attention, so much negativity, a few years of stability. 
But tragedy would strike the family again in 2014 when Peaches Geldof was found dead at her home after a heroin overdose like her mum. Particularly tragic and poignant is the fact that the last image she posted on her Twitter uh, a day ago was a picture of her and her mum, Paulie Yates, simply with the caption, me and my mum. And you do have to wonder where her headspace was at. After heroin overdose and sadly in quite similar circumstances to her mum because she was on her own in the house and the two very young kids, I believe she had two sons under two years old, were also in the house at the time. Now it's hard to believe any mum would do that on purpose. So, you know, I think it was absolutely an accidental overdose. Um, Again, very tragic. She wasn't found for a couple of hours. I think, you know, they got worried and then they started ringing around and then, you know, she was eventually discovered. Um, and I mean, what, like, it's just, that's the third tragedy to hit that family in the space of, what, 20 years? And it's all being played out in the full glare of the media. Like, you're harsh. We're great to them. Like, talk about tragedy after tragedy. She was super bright, too bright. Um, a very errant mind that could focus intensely on a book, more or less only on a book, which she consumed and just absorb it. Um, but the rest was this franticness, you know. And she knew what life was supposed to be. And God bless her, she tried very hard to get there. And um, she didn't make it. You blame yourself, you're the father who's responsible and clearly failed. So 40 years on and Channel 4 is celebrating that birthday. And it does seem quite poignant and correct that they would um, celebrate Paula hmm. in some shape or form. Yeah, the couple of interviews never been heard or seen before. So it'd be really interesting to see what they're going to come up with there. I would hope that whatever is done is done sensitively and has the consent of her family, you know, because she's grown-up kids now. But I also think it's good that she is celebrated. I would hate to see the circumstances of her death completely overshadow what she achieved and what she contributed over the years, you know, where she was in the public eye. So I think I think it will be a lovely celebration, a lovely tribute to her. And my thanks there to Melanie Finn, entertainment correspondent at the Irish Independent. I'm Siobhan McGuire and today's episode was produced by myself, researched by Owen Maloney, with sound by John Smith. Archive clips from Channel 4's The Tube, The Word and Brookside, Sky News, The BBC, ITV and independent.ie. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.